0: Hello, bonsoir and welcome to the Get French Football News Show. I'm your host Nathan Staples and joining me this week are French football writer Mohamed Ali and GFFN writers Eric Devin and Tom Scholes. Buying clubs seems to be very in vogue at the moment in Liga, and with a few new owners potentially on the horizon, will they bring riches or regret to their respective teams? We talk about that and all of the action from the weekend after the latest headlines. Ligue returned from its international break with two top-of-the-table clashes on Friday evening. Toulouse came from behind to beat Monaco 3-1, Martin Braithwaite notching a brace and an assist, while Lyon were reduced to 10 men after Nebel Fakir's dismissal in the first half and fell to unbeaten Nice 2-0. Saturday's early match saw an uneven PSG win at Nancy 2 1. Goals from Lucas and Edinson Cavani, enough for the capital side to move into second place. In the multiplex, Montpellier again scored three, with Casimir Ninga grabbing two of the goals, but were only able to hold on for a 3 2 win at home to Con. Gangomp held off Lille 1 0 on that multiplex as well, With while Nantes won a Breton derby away at Lorient 3-2. Angers continued their strong run of recent form, moving into the top half of the table as Farah diedu's brace saw them defeat hosts Bastia 2-1. On Sunday, the early match saw Rennes held at home by Bordeaux 1-0, while Saint-Etienne needed a stoppage time penalty from Nolan Rue to earn the same result at home to Dijon. In the weekend's final match, Bafatimbi Gomi scored the match's only goal as Marseille defeated Metz 1-0 in the final match of the Louis-Dreyfus era. In Ligue 2, Brest and Amiens both won to stay in the automatic promotion places, while Lens can go third with a win this evening against Sochaux. And that's all for your news, but remember, for all the latest, head on over to our website at www.getfootballnewsfrance.com and follow us on Twitter at GFFN. We start this week with the takeover of Marseille that was confirmed a couple of hours ago. The Louis-Dreyfus reign has ended and Frank McCourt is the new owner of Loem. Mo, give us your thoughts on the move.
1: Um, well, first of all, you know, given that um, we've kind of always been moving to this point ever since the August announcement, there's no you know real surprise. Everything's kind of really been spoken about. um but, you know, it just it just feels a little bit surreal that, you know, he's actually here. You, um, as of today, you know, Marseille has a new owner. Many of us supporters, you know, have not known an OM without, um, the, uh, you know, the Louis Grafford family. Um, so it's, it's, it was obviously an exciting time for, for the club, for its supporters as well. Um, you know, but now the question focuses on, you know, how will Frank McCourt um, kind of transform the club, you know, it's, it's, it's a challenging time. There's a, he's, he's got a bulging tray full of immediate decisions he needs to take as well. Um, you know, this, the, the, the team is it's in, it's in need of reconstruction. So is uh, the management team. You know, the fans have deserted the stadium. You only need to look at um, yesterday's game uh, against Mets to just know how much of a, of a challenge he has on his hands. Uh, but, you know, where today's announcement is concerned, it's a good thing. Um that you know the the sale is now official, you know everything is has been sorted you know it's just's been a long long time coming this is official announcement, and now you know just look to the future and just hope that it's the first step of a of a, of a new chapter in the club's history
0: uh, before we look ahead really uh, you've wrote an, a great article on this earlier today, moa, about the mm. lewis drivers era. and I really wanted to very quickly look back and and how would you summarize? Their errors ahead of Marseille, mm. and how it sort of turned out in the end.
1: Right. Um, well, it's, it's quite sad considering I. I, well, I think it's quite sad that you know for it, particularly where Robert Robert Louis Dreyfus was uh, in, in, concerned. You know, he did invest a lot. He he, like he once famously said, you know, he he Marseille frustrates him so much, but it is his passion. Um, you know, he loves the club, and he knew that you know is not going to win any money, uh, he's not going to make any money, rather, um, while investing in the club. And he invested so much, and it's a bit unfortunate that, you know, for all of his efforts, he never got to live to see, see a trophy. And as soon as, uh, you know, as soon as his, what, his widow took over, Marseille did actually win the league title in his first season. And, you know, I do credit him with kind of reviving Marseille around. You know, we all, we all know the stories of Marseille in the late 90s, where, you know, after the, after the match fixing scandal, how down on the hill that they were. And how he revived Marseille from about 2002 to 2000 to well into 2012, 2008 for a whole decade. Marseille were, you know, a stable club um, in the Champions League in Europe um, for for consecutive seasons, and there were exploits along the way as well. Um, but most of all, you know, this is not a club that was as volatile as it had been uh, in history. This is a club, you know. Okay, Lyon did kind of have a stranglehold on French football, but they did always finish second or third getting to the Champions League quarterfinals. The, you know, two European finals just after being relegated, um, uh, just after recovering from relegation, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a really good effort. And, you know, we did have the era of Didi Deschamps as well. And, you know, it, it, it's, been a, it's, it's been a successful road. It's just a bit of a shame that, you know, the 20-year kind of association from Robert Louis-Dreyfus to his wife has ended on such a sour note. You know, I, it, it's, it's a bit of a, you know, the kind of legacy, how really meek it's turned out over the last two years. It's, it's pretty, pretty sad. And, you know, it, at the end of the day, you kind of, you, you want to focus on the previous highs rather than the recent lows where the era is concerned. That's why, you know, it's very easy to say that, you know, thank God, you know, Louis Dreyfus, is, Marguerite Louis Dreyfus is gone. It's, it's, it's been, you know, really, really poor. Uh, two years, but considering if you look at the greater picture, it has there. There has been more successes than lows. Um, but you know, again, it, it's just <laughs> we wouldn't be here today if you know. I don't. I, I personally don't think Marseille would be in the position they were today if Marguerite didn't kind of develop this nonchalance towards the club, and if she, you know, made made more of an effort to preserve Robert's legacy. She she you know she she did say you know it's not my it's not my cup of tea, you know, football, to be honest. Um, I'm just, you know, kind of, I'm the trustee of his, his fortune and I've got to do what, you know, what's best for my family and, try, you know, throwing money at, at a football team and underperforming under football team that hemorrhages money in an era of football where, it, you know, clubs are dominated by investment funds and, you know, shady countries as well. You know, it's, it's, it's not for me. Um, and that's kind of why we're here today. But I, I'd say overall, the the era of Louis Dreyfus have I've seen we've seen more successes than those, really.
0: And that, uh, at least it's a net positive result in the end. Yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, Eric, we've we've talked about Frank McCourt before and and the worries that stem from his issues at the LA Dodgers, but he's been saying the right kind of things at least at the moment. Do you think he could brush that aside and become a positive owner for Marseille and move them forward, or is he someone that the fans should still maybe? Take caution with for the time being?
2: I think so. I think if we look at uh, Marseille's success, at least in the recent past, say the past four or five years, a lot of that was built upon candy b- buys from around the league, likes of Atovan, Apaye, uh, Mbula, Mario Lamina, Benjamin Mendy, uh, or even Bachwai coming from Belgium. These were There was money being spent on players, but it was being spent in a way uh, sort of similar to what Monaco are doing now, to buy players for lower amounts of money, you know, say 10 million euro or less, uh, and then to sell them on for a profit will ma- still maintain this, the, the sustainability of the team. And if McCourt can get in place the right scouting network to make that successful, because let's face it, there have also been moves that Marseille have made in the recent past that haven't exactly worked out so well. Jury t- sell out on Doria, but we can say safe as it Lucas Ocampos... Uh, perhaps didn't work out. Uh, so, with that in mind, I think that there is a, a template uh, readily available in the form of the, the Monaco model, if you will, to buy players at, at, uh, from around Ligon and sell them on while keeping the team competitive and attractive at the very high end without, without spending a whole lot of money. I mean, if we look at what Riblovlev had done at, at Monaco, he went through his divorce and realized, okay, I can't make this team world class. There's no Falcao, there's no Hamas, there's no Lutino. Uh, but I can still bring in the likes of a Benjamin Mendy, a G- Jibril Sidibe, uh, and make this team play attractive football and, uh, and turn these players on for a bigger fee. So, that being said, the question is, will Marseille's fans mind, if, if, that, if that is the case, if, if Marseille become this sort of a turnstile club? Um, and if they're all right with that, I mean, I think that it would be really unrealistic for any fan of a league on a team, myself included as a Lyon fan, to think that anything's going to break PSG's hegemony in the near future. So if Marseille are willing to, to look at that as a model and to uh, grow in that way, uh, I, th- I think that they can be back uh, uh, at or near the top of the top of Ligue 1. Uh, nice have done a similar thing with the younger players they brought in recently, Walter, uh, Lusamba, uh, Jean-Michel Serri, Ricardo Pereira. Uh, so... There's definitely a way to look at that. The question is, I think that uh, there needs to be an improvement in Marseille's scouting system and, and their and their hierarchy in that regard uh, for that to come off well. But I, I think that there is definitely a path back, if not to the very top of the league, and at least to be uh, competing for those European places, as they rightfully
0: should be. Well, the first issue that uh, Frank McCourt may have to kind of address is, is as Mo's mentioned, those fans not really... Filling out the velodrome as they had in the past, Tom. If how does he get those fans getting come back into the stadium? Is it is it finding the right manager in charge, or is it finding an exciting route to football, or is it just making them a more stable club again?
3: I think it's a combination of um, all three. Of course, it's it's it's, imp- it's imperative for Marseille now to get a manager that can stabilize the team and can work. Um, on building uh, a squad for the future, but also bringing a brand of football that excites the fans and brings, brings the fans back and brings that intimidating atmosphere week in, week out, not just for the, for the big clashes. Of course, a, the brand of football comes with the boss, but fans will come in their droves if the football's exciting, if the players are exciting, and more importantly, if the, if the team's winning. If the team's winning, then everybody's happy. But if they're winning in style, that's that's a bonus.
0: Yeah, and and that's what the the, the defining factor can really be. But we, we briefly touched on on it, Mo about Frank Passy and his interim status. Really, Demaray, is that the first job really for Frank McCourt to identify a manager who can take this team forward, or at least push them in the right kind of direction?
1: Absolutely. Um... I, I, you know, I think there's no secret that Frank Pash is more of a placeholder at the moment. Um, you know, and as soon as the club identify kind of the sort of profile they want in the next coach, he, he's obviously be, he'll be the first person to, to leave. Um, but you know, it's it's a bit difficult to get a get a coach kind of mid season, and then you know, how what time, how much time would do you afford him? You know, I, I'm if if this was this was July for example you'd be no brainer that Frank Parsi would have gone maybe within weeks but now that now that you know we're well underway in the league season as well and you know how many coaches would be comfortable kind of taking a, a team in construction about a quarter of the way through the season um not many you know I there's been a couple of people rumored but I think with was Frank Parsi he knows that he's got time inside I think particularly until January I think that I think I'll be very surprised if Marseille do install a first team manager uh, by January. But I think you know, like, he he, the way that you know he's coaching as well is kind of not making any drastic calls. He's kind of just you know keeping the team warm. Even, like you know, to say that to say the least, like, he's not really imposing his sort of identity on the club because you know time's running out for him as well with the new owner now being confirmed.
0: Mm. And and the the real question, Eric, is is maybe that could this unsettle a, a team that seems to be at least slowly improving and finding finding their feet in league after after a shaky start?
2: I don't think so. I think that the progress, that, if you can call it that, <laughs> uh, the progress that Marseille have made in, in recent weeks, I think, seems to be down to the players willing to put in the work necessary to to succeed. I mean, I think we need to look at Florian Tobin in particular. He finally seems a little bit chastened by his move and failure, subsequent failure at uh, Newcastle and seems to be working a lot harder this season. Remy Cabella, Likewise, about the Gomez, the same thing. He's always a player who I've enjoyed watching can score. And I think that up front, you know, there's, there's good signs there. And I think the risk of being unsettled. No, I don't think so. I think that this is a group of players who, uh, whatever success Marseille achieved this season, is going to come down to their willingness to, to work. I don't think that the managerial situation will upset them. I mean, Let's face it. I think Gomez is on loan uh, and NG as well. Uh, Tovana, for Tovan and Kabea to, you know, they're still young enough. I think that, that they'll want to move to different clubs in, in the future. And we'll see this as an opportunity to showcase themselves uh, to not only display individual skills they have in the past, but also to show that they can fit into a team template, which is something which was, they both have struggled in the past. And I think for those two to continue their career, to reach the heights that they've, uh, that had been perhaps hoped for for them, uh, say three or four years ago, they're going to, they've, I think this season thus far demonstrated an understanding of what it need, what it takes to be a, a successful football player beyond just merely having talent. And I think that, that that's really apparent. And I don't think the managerial situation will affect, uh, I think what's a, a frankly a pretty hungry group of young of, of players
0: yeah and, and the hope is that those some of those lion signings can now turn into permanent ones and really create a stable squad but to to bookend this chat about marseille i wanted to put the power in all of your hands so all of you are now the owners of the biggest club in france you all get one major decision to make to improve the club and no it can't be splash all of the money to buy every world cast player on the planet but a more practical move that at least gives some, the club some sub- stability moving forward. So I'll start with you, Mo. What would be the one thing you would like to see change?
1: Um, it has to be the hierarchy. I mean, I think what Marseille have been lacking for about the last however long it's been, it, it's, it's a it's a competent um, management. You know, a clearly defined organizational chart. You know, competent sporting director, a general manager. Director of football, you know, he, wherever these roles are, it needs to be clearly defined and people held to account. That's what Marseille have been lacking, and that's what other teams, you know, that's what that's what gives you your Leons and your, you know, by Leverkusen and other teams in Europe that are well run, because they've got individuals within the club whose roles are clearly defined. In Marseille, it's been more or less a shambles. You know, how much pres, how much power does the president have? You know, over the last five years, Van-San Le Brun has been able to do whatever he wants at Marseille, being stopped by nobody um he he kind of tells tells the, the 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 scouts you know what sort of play he wants despite not being not knowing really much about football um and across Europe that's what you know for clubs with little amounts of budget look how much look how well Sevilla and Porto have done in recent years you know without a massive budget in terms of like the revenue the club makes and um you know the, the amount of money they get to work with each year, except that with a really really good hierarchy that and a, and a good scouting department and good um, organisation around the club, what you can make you can really do wonders um, identifying players and playing kind of playing the right way with a, with a, with with not a massive budget. Now this could be achieved at Marseille, especially if Frank McCourt... You know, like I said before and um, the previous time I say Marseille. Really, the only situation—the situation they're in at the moment—is only because Margaret louis has kind of switched off the tap when it comes when it comes sorry when it comes to money. Um, she refused to cover the deficit, and that's why you've got Dimitri Payet, Steve Mandanda, and Kulya and the likes leaving. Um, you know, but if, if Marseille do manage to run themselves well, and Frank McCall is able to, you know, inject 30 million, 40 million, 50 million a year, there's no telling, you know, kind of what Marseille can, will be able to do. You know they can have that push into the Champions League and Champions League money will self-sustain them. And then, you know, you've got spare investment to kind of work around, you know, building either a really good-use team, um, developing a worldwide scouting network or whatever whatever that may be. But it all starts with internal recruitment and it starts with overhauling the internal employees of
2: the club.
0: Eric, what would you do if you were in charge?
2: I think I... I would agree generally with what Mo said, but I would say more specifically make this a team based around youth. And we look at the success that Leon and Denise, in particular, and even Monaco to some extent, well, well not as many of those players or as Academy products as the former two. I think that there's something to be said for that. Uh, this policy of bringing in these more experienced players, I'm thinking the likes of Sakai, Hubachan, uh, Rod Fanny. There's there's a little... Uh, William Banker, the players that have arrived this season, uh, I think are perhaps a little bit standing in the way of some of the younger and more promising players that are on Marseille's books, perhaps the likes of Esperania, Baptiste Dalloway, players like this. Uh, and that, to me, is a little bit frustrating to see uh, these younger players not be given uh, a chance to develop. Or even the likes of Javier Manquillo. I know he's a lone player, but you know why... He was returned to Atletico Madrid uh, to bring in Sakai. I, that, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. I, I think that there needs to be a mandate that's overarching and, and guides the team's policy as a whole. And given the success that teams in France have had, I mean, Lille in the past had a similar thing uh, with the likes of Debuchy, Kabay, Eden Hazard. Uh, and a, and a policy that aggressively promotes youth, if well executed, can be done in a manner that's inexpensive uh, and not at the success, uh, not not sorry, not
0: at the uh, expense of success of the first team. And finally, Tom, what would what would your mandate be? I think it's a combination again of of
3: what uh, Eric and Mo have said. They've got to build a team around youth players that can be here for for a number of years. They also need to tie them players down so they don't have incidents where some of the key players that the fans love. Such as a Mondanda don't go on a free. Also, with um, with some of the, some of the youth youth players, they'll want to play for the club. They'll feel the passion of the fans. They'll be more energised to play than than some players in the past. But more importantly, it's the the hierarchy. They need to sort out what's going on on top. They need to become a well-run club that can push for European places and even honours domestically. Who knows, they might even go on a Europa League run one of these days. They need a system that suits the club, runs the club well, and isn't an absolute shambles like it is now.
0: And that's at least all we can hope for from a a new owner. Thanks again, Mo, for for joining us this evening. It's always great to have you on. And and hopefully, again, it will be more positive news about Marseille than it has been. Hopefully, so. (laughs) Uh, Thank you for joining us. Thanks, Thanks, guys. We now turn our attention to the Friday night fixture or the early Friday night fixture and Toulouse fans will want to play the early kickoff every single weekend. They dispatched another big team at home taking down Monaco in a 3-1 win and that lifts them to fourth position, it temporarily third above PSG for a time, but Tom, what has been the secret behind their success so far this season? It's been amazing. Personally, I've really enjoyed watching Toulouse this year, seeing how
3: well they've come on. I feel Pascal Dupraz has done an absolutely amazing job with this team. You look at how they were at the start of last season, they were a little bit trepidatious, a little bit cautious. They didn't... I'll attempt to say they didn't have the belief that they could push on. This season, they've taken the momentum they had from staying up by the skin of their teeth last year and they've pushed it onto the next level. Players are, are coming out of their shells. With 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 Martin Braithwaite, a player that I've followed personally since his days in Denmark, he's come out of his skin maybe due to the due to the the, the sale of Brett Yedder. He's been allowed to be the number one striker and he, and he's benefiting from it. But I think an emphasis obviously not a whole lot of youth pl- young players but People like Alban Lafont in goal, absolutely superb. And for someone of his age, it's, it's easy to compare him to Jean-Luigi Donnarumerovin at Milan. But it's something similar where he's come in, he's got an air of confidence about him and he knows he's a good, he's a good goalkeeper. I think that it's, it, they're picking up big victories against big opposition. You know, they beat PSG and Monaco. There's this, there's this air. They have this air of invincibility around them, and of course, you know they will slip up every now and again. But at this moment in time, they have the belief and the confidence that they can take on any team and give them a good run for their money.
0: And that's that's the strange thing about um, the game on Friday, Eric. That they went a goal behind very early on, but that only really seemed to galvanise them. If anything, and that shows the real spirit that this team has at the moment.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think that we look at this 3-1 scoreline, and it easily could have been more. I mean, Braithwaite had a couple of chances before he did score in, in the first half. I think that Toulouse thoroughly dominated the first half uh, after going behind, and there, I believe there's a chance for Ziagasilla as well. Uh, but yeah, this team, I, I think, has shown not only uh, resilience to come back, but also a flexibility. We saw, we've saw we seen in recent weeks, due to the suspension of all its but in the team adapt to a 4-2-3-1 uh, with Braithwaite on his own, Trejo coming centrally, and Jimmy Dermaz and uh, Silla switching wings uh, from left to right, and the team looks looks a lot more complete. You've got a uh, back four that have been consistent with y- Yago Mumbanje, uh, Diop, and um, uh, sorry, Christophe Julian, as well as well as the young keeper Lafont. And you know, in that, I think you have a really fantastic uh, starting eleven to go with the midfielders Blin and Bodijay and it's a team that's a little bit younger, but also has the right amount of experience in players like Lubanje, Trejo, and Braithwaite to to provide some guidance uh, when necessary. Um, and you know, you've got some exciting younger players to come off the bench as well. So I think that this team uh, has a belief in themselves that that, that Pascal Dupraz is, is driving on, and I think that his. Now that he's finally got tactics settled out, I think that uh, this team can really continue to push for Europe. I, I think that it would have been easy to make excuses after going going behind to Monaco on Friday. And the fact that they didn't, I think, for me, really cements that, that immediate response. I mean, they were they were knocking in Monaco's goal. Subacit made a couple good saves, I think, within 10 minutes of, of having gone behind. And that, to me, says more about this team's potential than uh, what, the number of goals that Braithwaite scores or the quality of the saves that LaFont makes because those are instances that, you know, while they do both well for the future, the team need to take it in isolation with a grain of salt. But that, that psychological resiliency to, to battle back is what, is what really impresses me. And that's, uh, that, I think that's what's going to drive Toulouse and can make them a dark horse uh, for the Champions League or Europa League.
0: Yeah, and, and it, it, that's the strange thing in these kind of games. Sometimes when you see a result like this, you think maybe this smaller side has nicked a couple, maybe maybe it's been a bit lucky, but they were really battering on the door and creating chances that last season they would have never created that amount of chances. And, and it's so it's such a night and day sort of picture for a, for a football team that haven't had an enormous amount of upheaval, really. Obviously, they've lost Ben Yedder, but the, uh, you've mentioned it briefly already, Tom, but Martin Braithwaite, he's captain now as well. He's Second top scoring league and just behind Ensen Cavani with six. He's a real inspiration, although he still misses a couple of chances. (laughs) He likes to have a couple of misses before he grabs the goal. But again, with a brace at the weekend, he was excellent again.
3: Yeah, I think with it's almost similar to what's going on with cavani at psg he was in the he was in the shadow of a, of a, as another striker obviously with cavani being ibra but now that that striker's gone it's their chance to step into the limelight and the pair of them do like a, a, a miss or four in a game before they finally score but with with Braithwaite being the captain he looks like he's he's the driving force of this team you know he he's the first line of defense if you will but everyone seems, behind, seems to be behind them, and there's such a team spirit. And this past season has just gone, it shows that with the right amount of team spirit, anything can happen. So he's on top form. Hopefully he continues it. At the moment, he's showing those signs of slowing down, and with the fixtures they've got coming up, he's probably going to add more to his tally. But he looks like he's really coming to another level this season, with the captaincy
0: and being the the main focal point, yeah, and and he's a real energizer. But he seems to be running around everywhere. But let's talk about Dupri again, and Eric. It's not something we necessarily expected, but that <laughs> ever since that half time that speech before the game in the final game of the season last season, he's really inspired this side. And like you mentioned, they change. They've even changed up tactically, and they've still got it right. Is he just a magic man at the moment?
2: Yeah, I think what it is is he's got that, that subtle first choice 11, and he's he's finally being given a higher quality of players. I mean, he had, I think, a decent run at Evian, given the circumstances there, keeping the team up uh, for a couple of seasons and being perhaps unfairly dismissed in 2015. But now that he's got this great combination of young players and experienced players, I think that his motivational tactics and his, his tactical nous and his willingness to continue giving chances to these players that, again, feeling sorry for, uh, Ari Bajay, who, who had given a lot of these players their first chances. He's continued to put faith in this team and, and also boosted their confidence by now appearing to have what, what's a, what is a, a settled first choice 11. Uh, he's a fiery character, but I think that, that, that 11, I think is really, really what settles it because so often we see these players being given a chance, taken out, put in, taken out. Uh, and, I think that tends to to really rattle them. I, I know that players, younger players, can sometimes come in in the case of injury, but for Toulouse to have, you know, to have these younger players who know that week in week out you can make a mistake. It's a drop, you know, perhaps unnecessary booking uh, near the end of the match on uh, Friday evening, but you know, provided he's not suspended, I, I don't know what his yellow card count for the season is. Uh, will he start the next match alongside Julian? Yes. Because he's demonstrated now over the course of this season and, and sparingly last season as well, that he's, he's earned his manager's trust and he can t- continue to be, for example, uh, a building block of this team. And with that continuing to be the case, um, again, there's no reason Toulouse can't continue to keep this up, especially given the issues that seem to be surrounding the likes of perhaps a, a more highly regarded team, such as a, a Leon, a Saint-Étienne, uh, or a or a red at this point in time.
0: Mm, yeah, and they, they sit in a really nice position. But let's briefly touch on on Monaco as well. And, and Tom, is this a case of them having one eye on the Champions League and maybe missing the mark against a team that, you know, has proven that they can catch teams out when they're not fully focused?
3: Oh, I, think that's, I think that's fully it. I mean, they made such a good start to their Champions League campaign, you know, beating the Spurs. And I think that probably galvanised them. And they looked at each other and went, we can do something, we can get out of this group. I think they've they've concentrated on that and in some games it, this one is a, is a good example they should really on paper be at least uh, at least win a drawing they should be winning but they, they they probably had an eye on this week's round of fixtures and it was against the wrong team this week unfortunately for them because Toulouse caught them out and they've gone home empty handed I think Monaco will have will have a tough job of, of balancing re- retaining a Champions League place in Ligue 1 while also doing well in the competition itself. They stand a good chance of getting out of the group, but if it all fails and they and you know they mess it up and they they don't qualify for the next round, then they 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 they've got to really focus on getting getting into the Champions League places domestically and who knows, by the time the group stages out, it might be a bit too much for them.
0: Yeah, and, and uh, uh, Eric, it was a squad that wasn't necessarily as weak as they've put out in Ligue 1, which is probably a credit to lose, but are they going to struggle to balance between the Champions League and and, and battling for Ligue 1 because they've already allowed PSG back into the advantage that they gained on them previously?
2: No, I don't think so. I think that, that Leonardo Jardim recognises that I, I don't know if, if either of you have seen this, but uh, the mysterious suspension of Seska's Aroma Aromenko. Uh, he's their number 10 Finnish playmaker, leading scorer this season. Uh, he's been suspended for a month by UEFA. Nobody's really sure what, what for. There's a rumor that it's because of his use of snooze, uh, the Swedish tobacco substitute. Uh, so a really bizarre situation. But the point there is that uh, against the Seska side, lacking their, uh, lacking their most potent scorer, uh, Jardim knows that three points is absolutely imperative here. Uh, he similarly benefited from absences uh, against the likes of Villarreal and Fenerbahce in the playoff rounds, and he knows that putting this team on seven points uh, with three matches played is going to put Monaco in a great position to qualify. So it's not, a dis- it's not anything disrespectful to lose to not start the likes of Lamar Bakayoko. Uh, but uh, what it is is, is it's, a, it's a realization that this Monaco team is talented enough to make real noise in the Champions League and that his priorities necessarily should be uh, in, in perhaps taking a flyer against, again, a strong lose team uh, to privilege or getting a result away in Moscow tomorrow evening.
0: And, and it's strange to think that the big decision in that game just before Toulouse went back and went in front that he took on Germain for Bakayoko and tried to hold, possibly hold on to that draw, but it didn't quite work out the way they wanted to. But a team that aren't sitting so pretty as Toulouse is Olympic Lyonnais. They were humbled in a tempestuous 2-0 loss at Nice on Friday evening in the slightly later game. Um, Eric, what is going wrong at Parkwell at the moment?
2: Um, I, you know, I don't, I don't honestly know that anything is potentially going wrong. Uh, Fakir made an impetuous challenge. It's, it's, you know, he's a, he's a fiery player. He plays with his heart on his sleeve and it doesn't always necessarily manifest itself in a physical way, but this is a team that, uh, you know, has, has between the absences of Fakir, Lacazette, Corne, Raphael, uh, gone alone suspension has been missing a lot of key players and, and hasn't really had a chance to uh, click the way it should. We look at how Leon started the season that is after the Trophy de Champion lost to PSG. And they looked, they looked really imperious. Uh, and I think as this team gets back to fitness, they'll look it back to, I think it really is just merely an issue of, of injuries. Uh, once Corne returns, I, I would like to see the team potentially go back to a four, three, three. Do have a few questions about the three, five, two, even though it does seem to privilege the likes of Rebus and, Raphael and being able to get forward from the, from the wings. Uh, but I, I think that playing uh, a 4-3-3 with Corney on the left, Fakir on the right and Lacazette essentially uh, will do more to stretch defenses. I mean, that, that's, that's really my issue uh, with the formation at, at the time being, but yeah, I think give this team another month to get everybody fit and fighting. And, and I don't, I don't think you'll see this, uh, see this being an issue as well. Clement Grenier, uh, Played this weekend uh, with the uh, with Leon's uh, B team, so he's he'll be back to fitness as well soon. I know he's been a peripheral figure for much of the last two seasons, but he's still a talented player as well. Uh, so yeah, I think that there's also positives to be taken from the emergence of some of these younger players. I'm thinking particularly the likes of Lucas Tussar, who did very well to replace along during captain suspension, uh, and Emmanuel Mamana really does look quite the prospect. Uh, he seems to be so thus far, especially given his age and position, justifying the fee that Leon paid for him in the off season.
0: Yeah, and and Eric's mentioned perfectly that the, there's a few injury worries at the moment for the likes of Maxwell Corne and and Alexandre Lacazette was brought on instead of started because of recent injury troubles. I'm probably with an eye on that game in against Juventus in midweek. But Tom, are there is there attack lacking a potency? I know I know they're missing. Two relatively big players to that fact, but is that showing the lack of depth they have in attacking areas? Oh yeah, I mean,
3: like you say, missing pl- two players as big as as they are, it's it's always going to show show signs of not quite being there. But are they being made to pay for not bringing in another striker in the summer potentially? But when that other striker was Emmanuel Adebayor, uh, may, maybe maybe not but I think that it's being, it's being shown that they really do miss, like I said. It, uh, I'm not too sure if he's fully fit for the game against Juve, but if he is, that will give them a massive boost. If he's not, they will struggle, simply because they've got... It, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's a big gap
0: to fill and big boots to, to fill as well. And, and that like we say... We mentioned this on the preview show that uh, it would be tricky whether to start him for this one or the Juve game, but is he fully fit for that Juve game is going to be it's going to be the real question. But Eric, it, I know it might be a little bit early to say, but Leon have lost four games this season in the league. They've lost three out of their last four in all competitions and face a, a tricky uh, task against Juventus even at home. Um, it, if they lose that one and look like falling out of the Champions League as well, if they don't get a positive result against Gang gomp, is is Bruno Genesio under some pressure?
2: Again, you know, I really don't think so. I think he has made a couple of missteps this season, particularly uh, playing Jordi Gaspar, right wing back. He's looked horrendous in both the, in both on Friday and against Sevilla in the Champions League. But uh, I would have opted for Olivier in there myself, but. Other than that, I don't think he's gotten anything wrong. He's made the best of what he he can with a with an injury bit team, and the results that he has got have looked decent enough. An experimental system came off well against Dinamo Zagreb. His decision to play Corintz at right back, I think, should be repeated on uh, come tomorrow evening if he wants to get success. I think the team looked much more balanced against Etienne, uh, with that being the case. And I, I think that Tenezio's inventiveness and willingness to integrate these young players into the team in an appropriate way. I'm thinking particularly the likes of Corne and Mamana, uh, is to be lauded. And he's, he's the kind of manager who I think following the footsteps of the likes of Remy Gard, has taken, taken what could potentially be a very tough situation for Leon and, and really made the best of it and got, and, and got a lot and got a lot of <clears throat> good things out of this team to his credit. Um, I think that the dismissal of Fournier aside, Leon have not really historically had a, a quick trigger on managers such as, such as it was. And that uh, the Champions League, again, this is a tough group. And but even that being said, Leon are far from out of it. If they can get, again, <laughs> perhaps they're a long shot, they can get a point out of one of these two matches with Juventus. Uh, I, would, I would think they would progress were they to beat Sevilla in the return leg and uh, likewise Dinamo Zagreb. Uh, so the team can only hope to build from here. And I, I think that with a full squad, they do have a fighting chance of doing that.
0: Clutch at the straws you can keep. Hey? <laughs> um, let's talk about very briefly about Nice, Tom. And and they have 20 points now at this point of the season. There has been no club has fallen, has been lower than second after having that many points at this time of the season. Are they title contenders now? You have to
3: say yes, simply because of the start they've made and that, that fact you just said there. They've really struck gold this season. The appointment of Fav is a masterstroke. That's, that's the only way I can put it. He's used Balotelli perfectly. He hasn't relied on him, but he's used him when necessary. But the, apart from Balotelli, because he's the one that will get all the headlines, he's the big name, the team around him is playing fantastic, fantastically well. They've got such a solid team. And yeah, you'd have to say they are title challengers because with some of the bigger clubs like Monaco and Paris slipping up, it's given the chance for another team to to take advantage. Nice have done that. They've grabbed this opportunity by both hands and they've really driven home the fact that they're here to stay. I think... Come if if they're in the in the top three by in, going into the winter break. Yeah, I'd, and obviously they're within distance of first. Yeah, I'd say they're title challenges.
0: And and just briefly mentioning Eric, it was one of their slightly older heads, shall we say, that was the real inspiration in this one. I thought Jean-Michel Seri had a really excellent game, and and he's a important part to this squad and their success so far, isn't he?
2: Oh yeah, I I think that the Ivorian. You know, having, <clears throat> pardon me, having Remy Walter alongside him makes all the difference in the world. He'd been, sorry in this three-five-two. 5 sort of had been, at times, I think, uh, unfairly tasked. I'm thinking about the match against Krasnodar, if I recall the starting 11s correctly. Had been unfairly tasked with playing a defensive midfield role. And he's, that's not something that, due to his size his, and his natural talent, and natural abilities, he's really cut out to do. Uh, but Remy Walter alongside him to play as a defined... Uh, defensive midfielder, even at the expense of Vincent Coziello, I think that this makes uh, Nice a much more complete team to have someone who's a, a, a specialist defensive midfielder in there. And, and that really freed Seri to join play and, and be the, the sort of attacking lynchman that he was for so much of last season when he was, I think, especially in the first half of last season, really one of the best central midfielders uh, in Liga.
0: Yeah, and, and adding someone like wieland Ciprian, who can kind of play a hybrid of defensive midfield and attacking midfield depending on where they need him at the moment, it is a really interesting team that's starting to have a little bit more depth than many people maybe have expected. But if, <laughs> if Balotelli could have stuck that penalty away, it might have been even sweeter. Um, but a, a team that are probably fighting at the wrong end of the table after a much-needed win before the international break, albeit fortuitous one, Lille have sunk back into the drop zone with a 1-0 loss at Gangump. They continue to struggle in front of goal as they have for the past few seasons, but they're now even, uh, they're now leaky at the back where they was their real measure of strength in the past. Uh, Tom, what's really going wrong here for Lille? Is there is there any way out of the tunnel for them? I
3: think, I think there, there has to be. I mean, they, they, ended last season fairly well I mean they they got out of a similar situation they were they were they were struggling they were struggling then but I, I, I personally certainly didn't expect this to happen I think defensively they've been poor I think it's a bit of an understatement but they've not they've not got a, a striker or a goal threat that can pull them out of it yes Adair's there and you know he won the the Euros with Portugal this summer, but he's not known for being a an out and out goal scorer. But if they if they can if they can remain in 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 safe safe area, safe zone, if if that's the right way to put it, until um the January transfer window, and they can bring in someone that that's got a goal scoring head on them, then obviously a couple of defenders, I think they they might might just be all right but that's a, that's, a, that's a long shot at this
0: stage and i mentioned in, in my intro there eric that defence is something we've come to attribute of being the real strength and positive point of Lille, but they've they've been to say poor is maybe being a little bit kind because they they have they've conceded 15 so far this season which is only bettered by three other teams, that uh, Metz, and Deja- and Metz, Con, Montpellier, who all have been hammered in one game. So <laughs> what's gone wrong here? I mean, it, it, Antonetti had the pieces of a of a defence that was one of the better ones in Ligue 1, but even the goal at the weekend was such a simple, simple goal for them to concede.
2: I agree. I, I, but, I mean, this is the thing. 15 goals in nine matches is, is less than ideal, uh, but uh, it, it could be better. I, I'll, I'll agree with that. I, I, I think that you can in needs to play a bit more midfield to, to be a more mobile and effective screen of that, of that back to, uh, sorry, of that center back pairing. I think that I, I would agree with Savelli uh, being a, being a regular starter, but he's not, he's not the fastest. Uh, and, uh, likewise, Basha alongside him. I know Basha didn't play at the weekend, but there's there's an I- issue here that that stems from uh, Antonetti's lack of tactical mouse. and and it has it's apparent in the defense, uh, but it's also apparent in the way that he seems to lack a structure in his attack. Uh, he's again the absences of Ronnie Lopez and uh, Eric Potiak and. Uh, Ryan Mendes certainly had an effect on this match, but you have Nico de Preffo on the bench, and he doesn't come on. Morgan Alfatano comes on. Yassine Benzia comes on, uh, but your marquee offseason signing, if you discount Edair, who'd already been with the team on loaning, on loan, isn't brought on. Uh, it's just a bit bizarre, not only in terms of personnel, but in terms of what he's trying to do with this four-three-three. So, in a four-three-three, we have. Uh, Lille playing uh, with Yves Basuma on the right, a youngster who has had a decent showing in his, his first few matches with the team, uh, but Adair centrally and Naim Sleiti on the left. But what ended up happening in practice in this match was frankly disturbing. And I, I know that's a bit of a, of a strong description, but uh, all of the attacking plays seemed to go through Basuma, who is you know, an intriguing prospect but not ready to, to handle that load. Uh, whereas on the left, and essentially Sleti and Adair Ed, continued to switch. To switch, Sleti would pop up in the middle, Adair on the flank, vice versa, vice versa, and through through a lack of occupying consistent positions, Lille were unable to get get possession at all close to the goal, and they were res, reduced to what they continually have been doing: is taking shots from range. Uh, it was Sleti on the night. In the past, it's been Lopez, Boteak, uh, Depayville, Benzia. They're not. there's not a cohesive, attacking, coherent attacking plan uh, in place either tactically, in terms of player positions, in terms of personnel, uh, that makes any sense in terms of building constructive, aesthetically pleasing, uh, successful attacking play. And Antonetti is totally lost tactically. And that's the frustrating thing because he does have the personnel. Alright, if I'm Frederick Antonetti, I'm going to play a 4-2-3-1, I'm going to play Sankare and Ibrahim Abdu in midfield. I'm going to play Ronnie Lopez centrally, Suma on the right, Deprevo on the left, Adair up top. That's a team that can get something done. And these players are back fit and fighting. Anthony needs to put that forward and needs to go with that approach. Have Adair play as a striker, not this, not this drifting, jinky wide player. The guy is six foot two. You know he's got a decent ability to link play, but not if he's having to drift having to drift out on the left to get space for Naeem Sliti. I agree, is an intriguing prospect, had a decent season with Red Star, but it's not effective for this team. Sliti can come off the bench to be an impact substitution, but why he stays on the pitch for 90 minutes when you've got a, a proven Liga quality player, Nico de Preble, on the bench uh, in that position makes absolutely no sense to me uh, So rant over, but I, I think that is really, really missing the boat particularly in attack. The defence is good enough, particularly uh, when Basha's uh, fit once again.
0: Well, the rant's going to continue slightly because I'm going to join in again. <laughs> I've ranted on Lille before, but you, you've mentioned one there. Nicolas Delpreville doesn't come on for this entire game. This is a man who scored six goals and had nine assists for relegated Rass last season, who had Gaetan Charbonnier up front, who is about as mobile, as my granddad after Christmas dinner it's it's frankly astonishing that this team can't score and can't defend anymore that it's been an issue for two three years would you say Eric that Leal have, have been so poor attackingly and and have looked devout of ideas and they've never really been a prolific team but they've They've lost their defensive flooring, and that means everything's falling out from underneath them at the moment. And Yama can't save them every week. I mean, is they were they were bad against Nancy, but they got lucky for a goal that shouldn't have been offside, and then they win a game one nil through, and again a lucky goal. And that's I think's probably saved Antonetti's job at this moment in time because without that win, they're on four points, they have one win all season, and they're bottom of the table. Um, there's no excuses really for me. Um, I think that I can't believe Lille are carrying on with this charade of having him as a manager anymore. Um, they they don't have any easier really games coming up. I, looking at this, just they have they have Bastia at the weekend at home. If they can't beat Bastia at home, who aren't the greatest travelling side in history, have not been too bad away from home, but they've they've got to get points from somewhere because after that, it's Paris Saint-Germain who they should automatically lose against unfortunately then they've got angers who are in great form they've got leon who who should be strong enough to have their strikers back by that point in mid november after another international break so uh, tom it, can you see a, a justification for keeping antonetti on or or is he really on the teetering on the edge at the moment
3: After listening to listen to two very impressive rants i feel <laughs> i feel threatened for him no um no you both make very good points he he had the foundations last season, towards the end, defensively, really, really sound, and coming into this season, it's been a completely different team. Like you say, they nickel one nil, otherwise they're bottom of the table on four points. That alone is bad enough, but the performances have been have been dire. And I think no, I think you're right, it's it's hard to defend him the only thing that might keep him in the job is whether they feel there's someone out there that's suitable to replace him at the moment. I think that's probably the only thing that's potentially keeping him in, in a job at the moment.
0: It's it's frankly astonishing really. And yeah, he's he's in hot water, shall we say. Um, but, just to sort of briefly touch on something that's going on at Leo, there was a press release the other day that um, they've entered exclusive talks with former F1 Lotus owner Gerard Lopez, who who had discussions with Marseille previously before Frank McCourt agreed to deal with with the Louis Dreyfus um, company. So could could that maybe help them out a little bit, Eric? I know they've not they've not really bought many players in the recent past. They've Sold a few for big money, but not really had the returns. Could could a, a big money takeover maybe push them in the right direction, or at least push Antonetti out of the door?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that Lille's uh, um, academy and scouting structure has always been really sound. We look at the, the the profits they made, even just in the recent past, on the likes of say uh, Rivaldi, Benjamin Pavard. Uh, they'll likely they made a, a profit on CDB. They'll likely make one on Corsia. Um, uh, Adama Traore. Uh, there's really a, a, a good structure in place at this club, and a bit more money that would allow them to operate at a slightly higher higher level of quality, uh, I think, can really make a difference for this team. Um, Basuma looks a great pro, uh, prospect, and that's another good example of, of how Lille are uh, forging connections in Africa. And I think that I think there's a lot to be said for for the the foundations in place at this team. Uh, you know, with, uh, with more solid financial backing to... Uh, and this, is, this is the thing. The, the real obstacle to Lille's financial st- situation is um, the contract with the Stade Pierre Marois. Uh, I believe that they're owed something to the tune of 7.5-8 million euros to the, to the city of Lille every year as part of their contribution for using the stadium. Uh, and it's, it's very, very hard for the club to cover that payment without having to sell players, uh, and that is what drove, I mean, Buffal was always going to be sold, uh, given the, the season he had last year, but to see a, a promising younger players who, you know, really, you wish they would have had another season at the club, the likes of Girassi, who was very impressive for Auger on loan last season, uh, for Benjamin Pavard, who's been fantastic for Les Espoirs, and when he did play for, for Lille as well, I, I think showed real signs of promise, especially at the age of just 20, uh, to have players of, of that potential sold on. Adamantriori Traore is another, another example, his sale in Monaco. And that's a frustrating situation. And not those younger players not having the opportunity to blossom and to grow and to develop in Lille, uh, as we have with, with younger players in the, in, in the recent past, I'm thinking, again, the likes of Debussy, Kabay, uh, Stefan Lichtsteiner, Going back a little bit further, uh, there those players were allowed to reach a, a higher level of maturity and a, and a higher level of play during their time at Lille without having to be so long. The club weren't as under the gun. So, well, yes, it's it's fantastic that Lille now have a, 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 a yeah, a world class stadium. I mean, it's it's a it's a, it's a fantastic uh, ground that, that that I think is well done. But uh, the fact of the matter that is that's been sort of an albatross over under and you know, Michelle ownership and they're continually forced to to turn players and you know i mean what would this team look like i mean i'm not saying they would have been able to kept, keep keep it at hazard but uh, were this team have been able to keep say the likes of Girassi Pavard and um, Simon Kerr, you know then what then what sort of team would this look like i think we we'd be looking at uh, a, a much more impressive team uh, and and one that we continue to be a european contender as they have been in the recent past
0: yeah, and, and you think of, uh, as well of players like Origi and uh, Bufal, who they've signed from other clubs at a very tender young age and then pushing them onto that next level and getting a great profit out of them. They, there's a there's a real base there that if, if Gerard Lopez invests wisely, gets that stadium sorted, gets... Uh, gets them all under that one banner where they can possibly either keep these players or when they sell these players for big money, they can reinvest it in the squad. They, it might be a really interesting time for Lille if, if if he provides the promises that he he might have done it, um, at Marseille or, <laughs> heaven forbid, if he maybe tries to bring a local back if he's uh, had discussions with him in the past. But um, <laughs> that's all we have time for this week. Uh, my thanks to Mo, Eric and Tom for joining me and, and everyone listening at home this evening. Tune into our preview show hosted by Eric on Thursday, and uh, we will see you at the same time, same place next week. Abianto, uh, and goodbye.